I don't think we're muted. We're not. And I don't think, yeah, I think it's all going well. What's up, everyone? Luke Thomas. This is the Monday morning. Jesus, it's not a Monday morning else. This is the live chat on Wednesday, the 27th uh, here on MMAfighting.com. Apologies for the delay. Uh, my computer crashed and I had to restart it. And that's always a pain in my ass whenever I do that. Okay. Um, today on the live chat, just to get right to it, UFC 201 is a big topic. Uh, Mark Hunt's a big topic. PEDs are always a big topic. Um, Nate versus um, Connor's a big topic. Whatever you want to get to in the comments section, comments that turn green but not yellow will get priority but not exclusivity you get the idea um so you can also tweet me at sbn luke thomas on twitter and i'll get to those uh later in the chat okay since i started late let's get right down to it see what we have here for you okay first comment question what is it well the big question this week is of course now that the match is done how much did gilbert melendez actually age in your opinion it's a good question, uh, and I mentioned this when I did my post-fight show with Ariel Hawani. Uh, Gilbert Melendez is now 34, um, and I mentioned in my pre-fight analysis that you know one of the aspects I think of um, Melendez's strengths have been. Are people saying there's no? There's definitely a video embedded there. Let's see. I'm looking at it. No, it's good. All right. Um, at 34 years of old age for a lightweight, that's pretty old, man. Um, but the truth is, I actually thought he looked pretty good. Um, I thought that coming off of a layoff, there was not much of a chance he was going to win. And that some of the things that Barboza was going to do came to life. Uh, obviously, the things he's sort of known for, right? Like we all know, um, leg kicks, in and out movement, staying on his feet at all times, really never being a stationary target. Um, you know, uh, a couple of times in short range when Barboza wasn't as mindful of it, he got clipped. And as we know, his ability to take damage uh, on the chin is not necessarily all that great. But, you know, with Barboza, you have to get on him um, to make that really a true liability it's it's not necessarily all that rare to see him clipped but it is fairly rare to see him get clipped and then overwhelmed um obviously don Cerrone did it and tony ferguson did it but you know he's been hurt or thumped in a number of fights and sort of found a way around it and um i think you saw that here too so i didn't think linda's looked all that bad i just think look 34 years of age with the time off um obviously he was ahead of the game for a while games kind of passed him by a little bit but I don't think that it's fair to say he's completely out of the picture. Maybe he's not one of the leading names in that rarefied title space uh, picture. Okay, I think that's a fine way to say it. Maybe outside the top five, you know. Um, but he's still a pretty good lightweight, you know. I think if they gave him the right fight going forward, um, given that he's had some time off and had a rough first fight back, he can he can still make some noise in that division. I don't think he's going to go away quietly. Uh, he did not look shop-worn. Um, he did not look... Um, overly limited in terms of what he can do he just looked like the things that he had developed the skill sets were still there maybe that's not enough or quite as much as it used to be but it's still pretty effective and um he can still do some things with it so i'm not so sure that i'm worried to like close the book on gilbert melendez but to your point is there a reason to say at 34 years of age at in the lightweight division that might be a little bit on the older end of things absolutely is there a reason to think you know look he obviously developed a great skill set but it hasn't advanced much obviously in correlation with his age gonna be harder to add new skills as you get older sure but he's not so old and he's not so past things that he can't still beat really good fighters i think he can you know and mma is crazy you've seen it you know um, on any given night anybody can change the world as it stands 
hands. Jesus. Slippery ass hands. I see I wore my baseball cap this morning and now you can see. The old do. Although I know you don't care about this. I had an awesome night of sleep last night. Telling you makes such a big difference. I love all of you now. I sleep most days whenever you see me on this camera. <clears throat> I have come off a night of bad sleep because most nights I sleep are bad sleep. Um, I had an awesome night of sleep last night, so I feel great. All right. What did you make of Mark Hunt's comments about the UFC? Yeah, they were interesting. Um, well, the UFC says something that we should note before we even comment on this because the UFC said they sort of categorically not deny any, any kind of wrongdoing. Um, that Jeff Nowitzki had reached out and had a long conversation with Mark Hunt, maybe multiple conversations. I don't know exactly if anyone else has spoken to him as well. Um, obviously, we don't know the contents of that conversation, but probably it's Jeff Nowitzki trying to reassure uh, Mark of their good faith effort as they see it. Probably trying to reassure him that this is just how things work. There might be some adjustments we can make if there is any kind of error. It was certainly not intentional, you know, and we value you as a member of the fighting community someone asked me like do you think i'll ever fight for the ufc again and, and obviously uh, for a couple days there it seemed like the answer is no and maybe the answer is no i don't know if he'll turn the kung lee direction or not but um they didn't cut him you know when they could have um he didn't he did ask for retirement but he didn't formally declare it you know there's jeff davitsky's out there talking to him it seems to me like they're trying to make this work um before you know, no, no one's really hit the nuclear option at this point. It might seem that way when guys say stuff, but if you're in this business long enough, guys can sometimes say really outrageous things and everyone just comes back together again. Um, sometimes you can say things that fracture a relationship beyond the point of repair. I'm not sure yet that we're there yet. Um, could be. We'll get there. We'll see. I don't know. But you get the idea. Like, I'm not really ready to say um, this thing is done and gone forever. Okay, so with that being said, what do I make of it? I don't know. Let me look at his record real, real quick because it's sort of a bizarre stance to take in some ways. Like, I think some of you might look at this and be like, wow, I really support him, you know? Um, here is a guy who, you know, said a guy was going to be juiced to the gills, and then sure enough, he uh, tests positive for a variety of banned substances, at least one banned substance in this particular case, but on multiple occasions. And, uh, and then after the fact, there's no fine, and... Um, you know, obviously Nevada might, might overturn the result, but he's not going to get released from his contract. He's certainly not going to get a part of Brock Lesnar's purse. And so you can say, wow, like this guy really called it. He got hosed. And what does he have to show for it? Uh, now, he didn't get paid an insignificant sum, but okay. Then I've seen some fans, I have to be honest, kind of surprising. I didn't necessarily anticipate this. I saw some fans being like, look, man, okay, I get it. It didn't go your way. You did call it. Fair enough. You know, I appreciate that you brought attention to it, but you got paid 700K for that. You know, you definitely have been beaten up worse in other fights. You definitely fought other guys who used steroids, and when they popped, you didn't say anything like Frank Mir or Antonio Silva or something like that, you know. I'm trying to see if there's anyone else in his record. I mean, I'm sure of the guys in K1 at the time. Seems reasonable to conclude that some of them might have been on. Uh, let's see. Stipe, no. Antonio Silva, yes. Junior Dos Santos, no. And then he fought Gagard Musasi, Melvin Manhoff, Elster Overeem back in 2006, Josh Barnett. I mean, he's fought a number of guys who've had some checkered pasts. But okay, to your point, like this may have been different. This was a big opportunity for him. It was a big spotlight. But you guys have been, so I've seen some of you guys been out there being like, look, man, you just got to, you just, you're starting to sound like a whiner. 
you got to move on. So um, I'm going to sort of split the difference. Like for me, the area where I really sort of concentrate my thought on this particular scenario is one, I'm partly in the camp of those who say Mark Hunt was really wrong. I do think there's a, and I've said this before, uh, I'm MMA beat in other places where these guys don't have a lot of due process. It's still an issue I'm looking into. I don't quite have as much information as I'd like to really have a super hardened opinion, but certainly there is enough reason to speculate that um, there are some contractual provisions that fighters would be entitled to in a different circumstance that they just didn't get an opportunity to exercise when these rules were, were written, whether it's about um, under what circumstances someone can be retained under contract, whether it's about any kind of financial penalization of uh, caught PED users. None of these things were able to be given to fighters. They were simply handed a series of rules and said to basically take it or leave it. I'm sympathetic to the argument that um, Mark Hunt is basically sitting there holding the bag and has no clear definable path except to make a loud public noise, right? Like, wouldn't you want some kind of system built into place where fighters wouldn't merely have to take their grievances public in this kind of demonstrative way, but instead there would be a plan in place. This is what would happen. Guys would go through this um, set of procedures and here's a known sort of stipulation about what kind of result would be uh, given to them, be it financial or contractual or some, some other kind of recompense, right? That, that's, that's what you would want, a, a process in order. You triggered this with your PED test, uh, and so here is what's going to happen as a consequence. Now, there might be some variance in there given what other circumstances could be introduced, but you get the idea, some kind of a plan. But what happens is these guys don't have anything. So their natural instinct is to verbally lash out because that's all they have. Now, you can be upset that the verbal lashing is, you might say it's ultimately ineffective or marginally effective, and I wouldn't argue with you too much about that. It has a pretty limited effect. Um, you might also say in some ways it could be counterproductive, right? Like it may end up being, a, you know, unnecessary ostracism for the promotion when over the long term you can make a case that playing ball with them a little, in a little bit more direct way would be to their interests. I wouldn't argue with you too much about that, but what you do have to sort of recognize is that if you don't have any levers to pull for your benefit, if you don't have any way in which to channel uh, discontent in a way that makes fighters feel that they're being treated fairly, this lashing out that you see is because it's their last resort. They don't they don't have any other mechanism by which to have these grievances addressed. And so I agree with you that there's probably something to be said about you know to what extent is this really effective or useful or appropriate. Yeah, maybe that's a pretty debatable thing. But um, when you're left with <laughs> when you're left with a set of rules that don't really offer you a whole lot to begin with, or frankly nothing. Um, I can see why you'd lash out. I can, I can under that. That seems to me a very human response. So we'll see what happens. So here's here's like a perfect example, like encapsulating the fan base. Right, one reader says to me, "That was a great interview with Ariel. I love Mark Hunt's honesty about the situation. What did you guys think about it?" Someone responds, "I thought it was childish, and his anger was misdirected. He looks real dumb and likely killed his career. Hope the clicks were worth it." Um, then James Glory who could be the nicest person in the galaxy says one could hear just how upset and angry hunt was. I can't recall an interview quite, quite like it on Ariel's show. Uh, it was an intense moment. Um, and then someone says, uh, hilariously, since let's get into it because I'll get to it in a minute. Uh, he probably thought they were stupid as Luke supports PED use because it's safe. and isn't cheating. Um, well, it definitely is 
debatable on both those counts. Okay, so you say something that <laughs> you're just being unnecessarily contrarian. Sure, if you want to think that, you're more than it's a free country. You are entitled to think whatever you like. Uh, it is not the case. But let's get into the question because it all leads into it. Uh, understanding the contours of your position on PEDs. Okay. In recent weeks, I've heard you make what sounded like the following claim. Now, he puts quotations around it, but to be sure, he acknowledges. I actually never said it quite like this, uh, and nuance matters here. There is no evidence that the use of PEDs could be the aggravating factor in causing injury to a fighter. Negligent refereeing is a bigger problem. That is sort of what I said, not really. Certainly the latter part, negligent refereeing is a bigger problem. I, I don't know how one can dispute that, but okay. Let's sort of take a step back here, right? Because when I introduce sometimes ideas that folks don't necessarily agree with up front, on um, on the MMA beat, there is typically a lot of questions that are asked. And let it be known, I'm also trying to put together some kind of written document, not merely with stated positions, but a big, long reading list for everyone. Because what we are essentially talking about here is, is one, it's, it's partly a philosophical worldview. And two, I think that there is um, a lot of changing attitudes by sports fans generally on doping that have changed the relationship of uh, PEDs to sport, uh, known PEDs. Um, for example, there's a famous test called the Goldman Dilemma. And in the Goldman Dilemma, they asked Olympic athletes, I think in 84, maybe 89, don't quote me on that exactly, but sometime in the 80s. And they asked them, if you could take a PED that would enable you to reach like your highest athletic achievement, I think it was in this particular case, it was a gold medal, um, but it would kill you in five years, would you take it, right? That's the that's called the Goldman dilemma, and I think in '84, the athletes, I think it was like 52% said yes, and I think more recent um, uh, measurements of the Goldman dilemma is closer to like one percent. So you can see even among athletes, um, some of these attitudes are changing. Um, and if you're a big fan of anti-doping, they're changing in what you would describe as the right direction. For me, basically, let me still restate my worldview about this because probably I did it in a way where. Um, it creates for confusion. Now, I will often say that I got a lot of emails from people who were reading back to me caricatures of my position, but if it is a function of me not explaining it, then let's do that here. Um, I believe that you do need to have testing for PEDs in mixed martial arts, but I challenge a lot of the premise of why you should have them. So I believe in perhaps a different system of testing them but for me, what I have discovered in this long journey that we've all had through commission testing and the TRT era and now USADA um, is that uh, absolute prohibition, um, so to speak, uh, this zealotry end position, I don't find that either useful or helpful or frankly even necessary. However, I would also argue that TRT seems to be fairly forward medical abuse not directly for a person who is not competing, but these guys going in there, pobre me, you know, uh, and claiming medical illness. That seems to me disingenuous, although I don't have a hard and fast opinion about TRT necessarily in that regard. But I what I'm essentially sort of suggesting to you is something less than USADA, something more than commission testing. That era, um, area in between is the sweet spot. Now, why would you need testing? Well, one, you would need it because I don't really buy the argument that if you simply had... There are some people, for example, um, Norm Norman Faust, 
and other intellectuals and, and academia who would argue that what you really basically need is to test guys for health and wellness and to the extent they can pass those metrics um, what they take in between will sort of be naturally curtailed and what you really care about is if you do care about health and you do, you do care about wellness that's the most important part i don't really buy that argument because i don't really i don't really trust that a health and safety test um is all that effective necessarily so that's where I stand on that. I also believe that for liability purposes, and certainly in the modern era, I, I just believe there is so much irrationality and hysteria around this that having no program is just not a tenable position in 2016. Um, I just don't. I just don't find that to be realistic. So you have to have some kind of uh, apparatus in place. But what I don't think you need to have is something that goes to extraordinary lengths to pull off, like George Sullivan's off of card cards who have failed no test because he took what is in quote unquote a high risk supplement. That seems to me outrageous and counterproductive at a bare minimum. And he is certainly not the only case. Um, what you want is a system where you essentially keep a lid on things, but you don't go to extraordinary lengths to enforce it for a number of reasons. And the reason why is because we need to challenge some of the premises that we are just fed. Like there are this industry, when people try to make arguments to people, do you remember when Dana White tried to argue, we don't release how much guys make because the real problem there is that people will come out of the woodwork in their family and friends network and try to take it from them. I mean, this could not be a more ludicrous argument, right? You just look at what's happening in the NBA. Do you think that their salaries being released is leading to familial woe on any kind of measurable scale? I mean, it's just, it doesn't make any kind of sense, right? Like, I think we can all admit that. So, and I'm not really trying to pinpoint Dana White or anybody else, UFC management generally, Scott Coker, anyone who's issued kind of in any kind of opinion. And I do believe that people in USADA fundamentally think of drugs as this red line. And I, and I don't, right? Because for me, everyone talks about fairness in sports. And I, I frankly don't really buy what that is supposed to mean um, at all, right? We talk about, um, you know, it levels the playing field. What a totally nonsensical, absolutely bankrupt argument. There is no such thing. The sports you watch, particularly professional sports, is manifestly unfair. It is a it is a competition of unfairness. Um, I mean, where do I even begin? So, for example, I had my genetics screened by 23andMe. Perhaps you guys have heard of the service. You spit into a bottle, it checks your DNA, and it checks your DNA for any number of things. It checks your um, your family history. It screens you for various diseases. Um, it checks, you know, in the case of someone who's like me, who had some European ancestry, to what extent you even have um, Neanderthal DNA. And I have one Neanderthal variant that means I don't sneeze after I eat dark chocolate. I don't know what that means. Seems relatively insignificant, but hey, in the flotsam and jetsam of our genome, I have some of that. What I also had was definitively, um, also I have genetics for poor sleep, but I also had a, I did not have any of the genes for explosive athleticism, right? In other words, with this idea that we sort of say what you're born with at childbirth, relatively speaking, is the natural order of things. It is, it is an entirely unnatural order of things. People are born with the ability to secrete three times as much uh, testosterone as you. Guys are born genetically with these incredible gifts. Guys can have things happen to them in the course of their adolescence um, that can affect their um, um, the, some of the activation of certain genes and have this extraordinary ability for oxygenation of their blood and, and a variety of other things that, that can all happen. In other words, when we show up to the starting line of the race, 
we are not starting with similar machines. We are not starting with the same athleticism and the uh, same access to resources. There is no sameness. We are starting from fundamentally very different equal positions to begin with. And then the idea like of performance enhancing, I find to be a little bit incoherent, right? Uh, you could say, well, the natural or sort of order of things is what you're born with, right? But we already know genetically that pro sports is just the compensation of the genetically elite. That's what it is. It is not in totality, but in huge, large part, that's what it is. It is people who won the genetic lottery cashing in on it. Right. And I'm supposed to accept that this contest we're having is fair. Yoel Romero and I are athletically are not the same kind of people, even though we're roughly the same age. He won the genetic lottery when it comes to athletics. I did not. That's why he's up there. That's why I'm down here. And we have this argument about fairness. I have no idea what's fair about that. Moreover, you can have an argument about sort of economic abilities and what that creates. You know, why was Cain Velasquez um, so affected by the air in Mexico City? Well, um, not that he necessarily couldn't afford it, but you take someone like Fabricio Verdum, who was able to fly uh, training partners out for three weeks to acclimatize, to rent a home out in the Mexico City area, and then train and compete so that he can then fight at um, this level where he is accustomed to the oxygen levels at roughly 7,000 ch and change feet. Um, that is an economic hurdle that many fighters are not going to be able to overcome. And when you think about it, you have to think about how often is the UFC going to be able to go back to Mexico City? Um, how many native guys there are they going to be able to draw upon to fill a card? How many guys are going to want to pay those taxes who don't make as much money? But more than that, don't have the ability to pay for all those vast resources to then get themselves ready for that kind of environment. It's actually a structural hurdle that the UFC is going to have to address in the coming years with developing that Mexican market, um, which, for example, is not really a concern if they want to go back to Hacife, Brazil. Right? These are not the same kinds of things. But you know, the idea that some guys can afford the best nutritionists and some guys can afford the best coaches and they can fly themselves across the country and they can have that. Look at Conor McGregor. Economically, he created some of these advantages, but now they are built in. They are built-in advantages that he enjoys that other guys are not going to have. That does not guarantee victory, but what you are talking about, some of you guys, are is this notion of fairness. There's nothing fair about that. I'm not saying it's wrong that it's not fair. I think, again, these are some things that these guys helped build and develop, but that they are starting from equal positions is absolutely not the case in any capacity whatsoever, even among his other elite peers. Forget guys just coming into the UFC. So there's this genetic lottery that guys are winning. Some of this is ossified, and these positions are held at the top with these economic arrangements that they're able to enjoy. And then there's a sort of other scientific notion about what benefits are actually conferred by PEDs. And the answer to that truly is we don't even really know. Everyone tells me that they're super dangerous. There's not a lot of evidence for that. In terms of identifying clearly to what extent PEDs contributed to someone's actual corporeal body and brain being affected, what was the difference? We don't actually really know. Now, certainly, it is a plausible scenario to me that if someone said someone could take PEDs and another person could die at a bout with them, who could argue that this could happen? This could happen on Friday, God forbid, but it could happen. I don't think that's implausible. But when I'm tracing back the line of all of these times where we've had really severe injury or we've had really, uh, or, or, you know, uh, sadly a death, some of you guys are like, we don't know if PDs were involved. Yeah, that's true. But part of that is its own acknowledgement that commission testing wasn't even there. 
People are like, well, we don't know if they were on PEDs. Right, because they weren't really in a super regulated environment. And again, I'm not calling for no PED testing. That's not what I'm interested in. But this idea that like, this is a matter of life and death tomorrow, there's not really a lot of evidence to back that up. There's a lot of conjecture. I get a lot of talking points from some of you guys. Luke, if someone can take steroids, they can punch harder. And if they can punch harder, that naturally means there's a greater cause of injury. Is that really true? Certainly, I am not going to stand up here and argue with you that steroids, and there's various, or, or I should say, performance-enhancing drugs, because we can talk about EPO and masking agents and everything else, right? Um, certainly, I'm not going to argue that they don't confer some kind of competitive benefit. I do think that if you look at the records overalls of guys who are probably on there are some reason to believe that they may be worse off. There may be some reason to believe they're better off. But I would argue that, and if you're asking which ones are worse off, you can go look at Combat Sports blog, uh, Combat Sports Law blog by Eric McGrock, and he's got some stuff up there you can take a look at. But, but I, I would expect that some of the data would shake out that, okay, there might be some reason to believe that they get some benefits conferred. But it, I think that we exaggerate to what extent it actually confers benefit um, because we don't really know we don't actually know what the beginning and the end of it is. And and if you might say, well, that's not a reason not to do something, and I wouldn't disagree with you, but it's also reason for the people who are super anti-doping about it um, to maybe take a step back. What they want to do is they want to say to me, it's manifestly true that it does these things. And I'm like, if it's so manifestly true, where, where are the bodies? Um, where Where is the definable evidence that, that in totality we can declare you are a you are uh, something between a human and an Avenger when you're on PEDs. I don't think that's the kind of athletic benefit it confers, at least in an environment where some use is curbed. I mean, it's one thing to say a bodybuilder can just take whatever they want; and they would have harder punching power. I mean, there might be mechanics with the muscle that prevents them from getting the full kind of range of power on it, but um, but the idea is if you have some kind of apparatus in place. They can't wantonly take whatever they want. They can't turn themselves into something of a, you know, a grotesque beast that could uh, be somewhere outside of recorded human norms. If you keep a lid on it, there's a lid about what guys can reasonably put in their body, even if they're cheating. Um, and so, you know, again, I'm sure everyone's going to say, oh, here's, you know, look at Michael Bisping's eye. This is certainly one example of something um, where a guy had something bad happen to him. I'm not going to deny to you that there aren't going to be examples where you can say, eh, you know, Vitor on TRT, again, I'm not necessarily in favor of TRT, but Vitor on TRT, you know, enjoys some benefits. That's true, but we're talking about the aggregate scale of things. What is the measurement of what kind of benefits PEDs confer? And the truth is, you don't know. You just don't know. Then you get to other situations. This is the full totality of my position, since everyone likes to make a caricature of it. The full totality of it is, let's talk about EPO, right? We know scientifically there is a limit about how much um, red blood cells someone can reasonably have in their blood at one time. And I believe there's a term for it. Uh, let me pull that up. The term is PCV. I was reading about this the other day. Uh, packed cell volume. EPO is a natural hormone that stimulates red blood, red blood cell production, raising the packed cell volume, the percentage of blood comprised 
of red blood cells. So what you want in a normal average person is between 0.4 and 0.5. It naturally varies. 5% of people have a packed cell volume above 0.5. Uh, elite athletes are typically to be above 0.5 if anyone is, um, and you get the idea. But raising PCV too high can actually cause a number of health problems, particularly if you add in other factors like dehydration, it can really raise the risk for stroke. This is why you saw some cyclists, I think, in an area before EPO, um, when it was sort of wantonly legal, you had some issues. I'm, I'm not really in favor of guys hurting themselves. This is clearly a case where it can be unsafe. But the problem is we allow for training at high altitude, which can achieve the same kind of measurable results as some kinds of EPO um, doping. You can also use these oxygenation tents, which gets back to um, the issue of what guys have economic advantages that they enjoy. And again, McGregor might have earned his money, but some guys come from wealth. Some guys are just lucky. This is the whole point here that we're trying to sort of get across to you is when you talk to me about, well, this should be fair, certainly there should be some measures in place to ensure a reasonable degree of guys starting from relatively similar positions. These guys both raise themselves to an elite degree. They're in the same weight class. They both passed a number of uh, uh, biological tests that cleared them for um, any kind of safety concerns. And then you just say, well, the rest of that is completely, uh, uh, it is entirely up to luck. Do you have better genetics? Do you have better coaching? Um, do you have better recovery ability athletically to get back in there and do it the next day? Do you have a more natural aptitude for hand-eye coordination? Nothing about pro sports is about fairness. Almost such very little, very, very little is about fairness. So I just don't, I don't know why I'm supposed to accept that like drugs are this super thick red line when even the most stringent supporters can't really tell me how much better off you're likely to be by using some of these things and in what contexts. And when this, this notion of we have to let, you know, have a competitive and level playing field, you're, there's nothing level about it. Now, there are some scholars who will argue that the PE deuce between guys who um, have and don't have can actually level that. I'm less interested in that argument, but that's not, a, that's not a wild notion even outside the bounds of renowned scholars. That's well within the, the boundaries, well within them. So you're asking me what my position is. It's something in-house that keeps a bit of a lid on it that doesn't go so far for reasons that we're not sure confers any real benefit. And in fact, the last thing I would say about this, and I'll move on because I've been going on about it for a bit now, this is a sport that everyone tells me, you know, Kingmo is the biggest one, and I love Kingmo, but he's always telling me, you know, this is a sport, yeah, it's real, but not in their acting, but this is entertainment. This is why Dan Henderson is fighting Michael Bisping. Well, if it's partly entertainment, where guys just jump a cue because that's more in keeping with business interests and what fans want to see, which is fine. It's a whole separate debate. Why are we testing in accordance with something that does not have that architecture, that is strictly about measuring in a relayed tournament sense the most capable athletic competitor? That's really not what we're measuring if that's what we have in, in MMA, if it's a sport underlined by an entertainment architecture. Why are we testing undergrounds that don't match that reality? We should be testing on something less than USADA, more than the WWE wellness policy, something in between, which actually matches what the sport is about. And really the kinds of safety concerns we need to have, of course, some are related to, to what extent guys are taking something into their body, of course, but really you had just, what is today, uh, Wednesday, just on Monday, you had the Inspector General of New York issuing a report, a scathing indictment about a boxer who lost his life because of improper protocol in a number of respects, and generally speaking, an athletic commission that was in woeful disrepair by uh, 
in some ways corrupt and certainly negligent leadership. I am sorry, guys, but the clear and present danger here to me, something we can draw a straight line to, it is not the PED boogeyman. It is really and truly the commission apparatus and whether they are in a capable spot to properly regulate. That does not mean we don't care about PEDs. That does not mean we say they don't confer athletic benefit. They probably do in some way. But until we have really hard data, until we have a real strong reason besides theoretical glowing anecdotes about one's own ideas, or well, what, what, this could happen, this could potentially happen, right? But it keeps not happening. So why does it keep not happening? The, do you think it's just coincidence after all this time? Maybe. Maybe we're just really lucky. Maybe that's what that is. I have a better idea. I think it does allow when it's in a sport where it's slightly tampered down, I think it does allow for certain benefits. But in the cases of the elite mixed martial arts where you typically have better judges and you typically have better referees and you typically have better officiating, it can allow someone to have greater competitive success. It does not turn them into a killing machine. And then you say, well, that's unfair, right? This whole thing is unfair. We don't watch it because it's fair. We watch it because we want to see athletic excellence. That is why we watch sports. We watch sports because we want to see who is the best. But who is the best is determined by, did they get LASIK surgery? Do they have the genetic codes for athletic uh, excellence? Do they produce more testosterone than somebody else? Are they born with an incredible degree of hand-eye coordination? Did they get lucky enough to end up with a team and a trainer who understands them and can build the best out of them? If you want to make MMA less dangerous, because MMA fundamentally is dangerous, you're really interested in health and safety, just have two donks who don't know how to fight fight it out who aren't on you know, PEDs or something. Because there you could really sort of say um, they can't hurt each other to a degree we're concerned about because they just don't know what they're doing, right? That, that would sort of make MMA safe in, in a way I think that would appease people in accordance with their own ideals. This whole idea about it, it violates the spirit of the sport I, I, I just is a total non-starter for me. So, I, so just to sum it all up and we move along, I am not advocating for a lack of PED testing. What I'm saying is the USADA zealotry to me is not necessary. And frankly, uh, is not in keeping with the architecture of the sport. It rests on certain fundamental ideals that have been repeated over and over again, for which there is either very little evidence or at least from a philosophical standpoint, reasons to be suspicious of them. And I think something a little bit less than that, more than commission testing, is more than enough to ensure the health and safety, I think, to a reasonable degree, um, so long as our real focus is actually on what the real culprit has been, not just now, over the course of mixed martial arts and proper regulation. That is, how, that is essentially how I view uh, PEDs. Now, it goes into more detail than that. This is merely a, an encapsulated version of it. But if you want to restate my position, play the video. That's pretty close to what I'm going to be able to say in written form. Uh, but there's more issues even than that to flesh out. There's issues of um, um, how this relates to children and how they could differ from other sports. And it's fleshing out of the idea about unfairness and you know competitive advantages conferred from birth and things like that. So there you go. Someone says, cleaning the sport shouldn't be difficult. It's literally the most difficult thing in sports. The penalties need to be on a financial basis. This would stop broke newbies. It would make them more broke. I can certainly say that. Um, so Arthur Jones got 
tested positive for uh, whatever he tested positive for. He violated the NFL's PED policy. How many of you have advocated that the money he's losing in that four games go to the team? Who the who? Let me look at the 2016-2017 Colts schedule. Who are they playing the first four weeks? Let's see. So, so you're you're telling me his paycheck those four months against the Lions, Broncos, Chargers, and Jaguars should be given to them. I haven't seen one of you guys say that. I haven't seen one of you guys say that. And you really think those guys are not using PEDs? And moreover, last thing about this, there's a whole other debate that needs to be had about to what extent there's there's um, who was it? The Australian swimmer who got caught with a masking agent, but he used the masking agent because he was using steroids to heal an injured shoulder in time. You know, these guys take on this tremendous amount of injuries and we're not supposed to use any kind of medical advancement that may have a really dubious value in terms of what it offers in the cage. Because MMA ultimately is a pretty, it's, it's athletically based. It's also heavily skill-based too, which is why those economic hurdles and those genetic hurdles are going to be impossible to overcome for a lot of people. Um, um, you know, I'm going on and on. I need to move along in the chat, but there you go. That's a rough summation of my, my position. If you ask, why wouldn't I just have commission testing? Um, because I don't think that would keep the appropriate lid. I don't think commission testing should go away. It should be enhanced. Um, but they're ultimately not a scientific body. They would need some level of assistance to to do that. All right, let's keep going. Well, it says just because you can't prove it doesn't mean it isn't logical. Uh, I mean, you can have an argument where the conclusion follows from the premise. But what I am getting back to, if your argument to me is like, Luke, I can make a logical argument about why heavy PED enforcement is necessary. Sure, you can make a logical argument. What we are doing in the sport is not based off the idea that we can formulate an argument where the conclusion follows from the premise. What we are doing is acting on the idea in this alarmist sense that if we don't do these kinds of things, we are fundamentally disrupting the competitive integrity of the sport and that we are risking health uh, and life and limb of the athletes. And that is the component by which I challenge. It is not the idea that, for example, people say, people, people have said, um, you know, PEDs might be able to lengthen the, some, the length of someone's career. Um, that to me seems like a, re a, a reasonable retort and why, you know, commission brain tests uh, to the extent that any, any kind is available would need to go up. I think that's actually a fairly strong response, believe it or not. Um, but that's, that's, uh, that's a more of a reason to call for commission oversight and B, um, I don't know why we have to act on some idea like the whole no notion of doing things under USADA is that these are settled debates. The, the, the science is in, the jury is in, uh, the jury is out anyway. Um, we don't need to have these conversations. And I think what I'm trying to fundamentally get across to you is if you ultimately don't want to agree with me, don't. If you believe that there is something else to uh, another way to view this, do that. But do that under your own consideration. We have just been peddled these ideas with no real examination of whether or not they're actually true or helpful 
or necessary. We've just kind of accepted, geez, yeah, PEDs are bad. Let's ban them. The drug line is the line in the sand. And the truth is, when you really examine it, that's not all that strong of an argument. It's just one we've been fed over and over and over and over. Performance-enhancing drugs. Oh, man, these cheaters. You're a clean athlete. Anytime somebody tries to boil an ethical dilemma down to are you clean or are you dirty, that is fundamentally somebody um, who has an unserious position, especially in this particular case. So, you know, yeah, you can make lo- you can make all manner of logical arguments, but the question is not whether it's logical. The question is, is it logical married on some kind of evidentiary basis warranting this alarmist reaction that we had? And I think that's where the argument totally falls apart. We can reasonably disagree about what we're interpreting here. And to be sure, I can cite a number of academics and people who are strong believers in anti-doping can cite their own number of academics. This is a, this is a debate we will have for a very long time. Um, I'm, not, I'm not under the delusion that I can convince you in one live chat. Uh, but what I'm trying to get you to reassess is when they feed you these ideas and they don't really actually know um, what kind of benefits are conferred. We can reasonably assume some are conferred, but so much so that we have to take this really absolutist sense about things because we didn't have that, and at the elite level, we can't tie anything to the use of that. That seems a little much, doesn't it? Seems to me a little much. And then you have this sort of fundamental nature of what the sport is. It's partly entertainment. It's not this sort of strict... Jordan Burdo's entering the 74 kilogram bracket. The whole, whole thing is unfair to begin with. Um, these arguments don't hold up to me very well. Some of them do, most of them don't. And I just, I, I, all I would ask you is if you want to be mad at me, be mad at me. If you want to send me hate mail, luke.thomas.espionation.com. But at least do your own examination of this debate and see if these things after that process still hold up to you. Do not come to me or anyone else and just regurgitate drugs are bad. Okay, thanks. I'm not saying that's what you're doing. I'm just saying, you know, everyone out there. All right. Shane Carwin is apparently making a comeback. Given he's a heavyweight, do you think he can still compete at the highest level or at least the level at the time of his initial retirement? I don't know. We'll have to see. I mean, I thought he retired at the time because he had a lot of health problems. I know he's had a number of uh, neck and I think back surgeries. But if he's feeling better, MMA is hot right now. If he can pass the requisite medicals, um, you, we know that heavyweights, at least right now, they age pretty well. Yeah, let's see what he can do, right? I mean, all those things, if he fulfills all those requirements, I'm not one to keep him out. All right, let's see. Um, Novitsky, we hear that Novitsky has contacted Hunt, which is a step in the right direction. Can you speculate what he likely said? I've sort of already gone over that. Uh, is Tyron Woodley a donk for implying that the critique of his lack of cardio is a result of indirect racism? What does that mean? Start a group supporting highly muscular fighters in their quest to combat this racist critique, which is clearly based on purely subjective evidence. I did not hear that. And then someone says... Um, which I'm going to respond to. Uh, 
Rogan reduces schedule. Who would you like to see in Joe's place when he isn't there? Annick Stan, Florian Hardy, Goldie Mir Black, uh, or even one or more others. For me personally, and I think this is going to vary person to person, um, to the extent that he's not there, Annick and Stan I think would be a good replacement. I also think that Gooden and Hardy should get a few more nods. They shouldn't just do cards when they're in London. I would like to see them do cards in America. I would like to see them do cards... And I know they don't just do them in London. They do, you know, uh, MENA, Middle East, North Africa. I think, they've, I think they've done some Asian cards. I can't quite remember exactly. But you get the idea. Like, I wouldn't mind if they did some Fight Pass cards for Fox. I wouldn't mind if they did. Um, I, I just wouldn't mind seeing them more is, is the short way to put it. Uh, any Yoel Romero update? Well, he was gunning for that um, title shot, but you saw what happened there. Francis and Ganu's next fight. What do you think should be the next move for Francis and Ganu? After three straight knockouts, there is a lot of talk of him facing a ranked opponent next, and Derek Lewis has been mentioned. But he has only been training MMA since 2013. Jesus Christ. And he is still very raw, and I don't think it would be the worst thing to build him up a bit more. Okay, I agree with that. Seems like he'll keep destroying these lower-level guys, the UFC. Okay, but the thing is, the other fight, I mean, it was like one or two punches, and the guy collapsed. So I agree with you that, like, if there were guys they could give him in a theoretical world where um, he could develop his skills, I, I would not be opposed to this. I just don't know how many – I mean, it's like giving Cyborg 145ers. Like, they do it because they don't really have much of an, another choice. Um, But the UFC is in a bit of a different position than – you know, Invicta. Invicta. You know, when other shows make mismatches, not that I'm like thrilled about it, but I'm a little bit willing, slightly, slightly, to like kind of look the other way a little bit. But with the UFC, we got to hold them to a bit of a higher standard, and, and particularly when guys can hit this hard. So, um, so yeah. But I mean, is he not exciting as hell? Dude, that guy walks around like a a friggin' superhero, man. He's incredible. Is Real Madrid gonna sign someone this summer? Yeah, I don't know what's gonna happen. Them and Arsenal haven't done – I mean, they got Morata back, which I guess he'll help fill in as CR7 is gone. But when he's back, we got the BBC up front. I don't know where Morata's going to fit in. Hamas is still there. I don't know what they're going to make any use of him. Maybe another year on the bench, uh, which is awesome. They want to sign Pogba, but I don't – I bet he'll ultimately go to Manchester United. Arsenal missed out on, let's see, Gonzalo Higuain. Who else did Arsenal miss out on this uh, – I don't know if they were ever in the Pogba sweepstakes. My buddy is an Arsenal fan. Could not be more miserable. <laughs> Could not be sadder as a human being than he is right now. Real Madrid, it's like, I don't know, we've made a lot of acquisitions in the defensive four in the back. Need some work, but uh, Pepe's getting older and Veron's and all that good. And Marcelo's good, but inconsistent. I mean, he's good. He's obviously really good. Um, I think they're going to bring what's-his-face back. Um, I mean, obviously, Carvajal's back there, too, but uh, they're going to bring back... Um, uh, Cohen trial. So we'll see. 125. After watching Shevchenko's performance and seeing the size difference between her and home, don't we need a women's 125 pound division? I think Shevchenko is an instant title contender there. Would you agree? I think it's going to eventually going to happen. I just think the UFC wants to wait for there to be enough, um, uh, ladies there so that they don't bleed dry the other two divisions, right? They want to make sure that those divisions stay packed, stay thick, stay interesting, stay exciting. You know, part of the reason why we're having this craziness going on at bantamweight 
um, at least in this case with Shevchenko is, right? I mean, obviously, I'm not saying Amanda Nunes or Julian Pena are natural flyweights bumping themselves up a weight class, but certainly in the case of Shevchenko, a little bit of disorder is being created because it's happening there. Um, so I don't think the UFC is ready to just say, I should. There we go. I don't think the UFC is really ready to say oh, we want to create something that we can't fill out properly, but seems like an inevitability. Seems like this will be a natural fit for a lot of women. Seems like um, there'll be a high degree of enthusiasm for it, and um, all we have to do is just wait for a time when when they can make it work. You know, uh, UFC two hundred one Saturday. Thoughts on the whole card? All right, I'll go quickly through this. Lawler versus Woodley. Look, here's the thing about Lawler versus Woodley, the one redeeming feature to this. I don't know what kind of chance Tyra Woodley has, you know, gun to my head. I think I'm like many of you. I think Robbie Lawler's probably got a pretty good chance to win. The only thing about Lawler that you have to sort of speculate and wonder about is to what extent is, um, um, you know, when's the bottom going to drop out on all those wars he had? Is it going to be this fight? Maybe not. Probably not, right? Is it going to be the next fight? I don't know. But at some point, there's going to be a decline. Uh, and when is that going to be? That decline can be hastened by, um, you know, five-round wars. So we shall see. We, we shall see. I don't know. But I think there's a reason to watch at least to see, you know, how fresh is Robbie Lawler after these, like, rough stretch, you know. Uh, women's straw, right? Rose Namunas versus Double K. Love this fight. Love it, love it, love it. I wish it were not a, like, de facto number one contender, but I love it. Uh, Brown versus Ellenberger, man. It's, I mean, if this is not do or die for Jake Ellenberger, I don't know what is. Uh, Francisco Rivera versus Eric Perez. This is a bit of a come to Jesus moment for old Go Gogeta as well. I know it's Goyito, but Gogito is how my wife would pronounce it. Uh, Ian McCall versus Justin Scoggins. Baller fight. Sorry, that's a killer fight. Then we go to Fox Sports 2. Ed Herman versus Nikita Krylov, or Krylov, however you pronounce it properly. Ross Pearson versus Jorge Masvidal. Uh, Jorge needs to get back on the on the on the winning uh, track. Anthony Hamilton versus Damian Grabowski. Don't care. Wilson Hayes versus Hector Sandoval. I like Hayes, you know. Michael Graves versus uh, Bojan Velikovic or Bojan. Uh, great. Ryan Benoit versus Freddie Serrano. Serrano's Colombian, so I'm kind of interested in that one. Cesar Arzamendia versus Demian Brown. Yeah, whatever. Uh, Baby Slice, what's your opinion on Bellator signing Kimbo Slice's son to the promotion after winning his first and only amateur fight back in March? Um, I don't have much of a problem with it. I don't like think it's like, hey, I'm so like thrilled about it. I don't, I'm not going to call it like a genius, you know, move by a promoter. But yeah, it seems fine by me. Um, so look, like if he was, if he were signed, like first of all, he's more qualified than CM Punk. Let's just sort of get that out there, right? Um, he's younger, less miles. Uh, already has amateur experience. Like by every measurement, he is much more qualified than CM Punk. So before everyone gets like all upset about it, but some people are like, okay, even if he's more qualified than CM Punk, um, you know, kind of signing him, uh, the dad's dead, kind of surfing on that a little bit. Isn't that a little ghoulish? So, you know, obviously we're all entitled to believe what I want. Bellator officials tell me he was sold. He was sold. Jesus. He was signed in April. Um, long before there was any kind of issue like this um, and that I don't know if the father's death interrupted their natural plan to promote him. Maybe it did. I'm not sure. But anyway, that's take that into consideration. Um, and yeah, I don't have much of a problem with it. Look, if you were fighting in the UFC, it would be really difficult for me to accept this. Not because they UFC would also be using his name. Uh, they would be, of course, and I'm okay with that. 
uh, UFC or Bellator, that doesn't, that doesn't bother me. The difference is that Bellator can find guys for him that are going to be much more commensurate with his level, which means they're going to find some donks, right? That's just what it's going to be at first. Uh, and if he turns out to be something great, if he doesn't, that's great too. But, you know, UFC had some experience. I should say Coker had some, some, something relatively like this with Ryan Couture. Um, now, I think Ryan Couture was a bit more advanced uh, by the time he, Coker found him. In fact, he definitely was. But nevertheless, this is not entirely unfamiliar terrain, um, taking the son of somebody and trying to massage their career and then not. But, you know, he gave Couture some tough tests, but um, they were never like these super big time cakewalks. They were reasonably competitive matches for the most part. So, you know, they're going to find someone who is not all that great at first. But that's how a lot of the fight game works uh, at the lower levels. Um, it's a lot of guys getting tune-up fights as they get better and better and i don't have too much of a problem with it depending on who they book them up against to be honest with you if chael passes the usada tests who would you have him come back against so i actually took some questions on this in my radio show here's what people told me they told me at a very few of them said um gagard musasi okay not a bad choice not my first choice, but not a bad choice. Then they said um, maybe Vitor Belfort, right? If he wants like a retirement fight or something, uh, which would be a tough one for him, but you never know. Um, then some people said, what about a third fight with Anderson Silva? I would not be opposed to a third fight with Anderson Silva, to be honest. It's kind of crazy to say that. It's basically the idea is, though, that like, if somebody came to you and was like, this guy beat this other guy twice. Do you want to see him fight a third time? You're going to be like, not really. But they're both in, like, really different positions in their career now. We don't really know how, like, healthy Chelsonen is. But, you know, again, if, to the extent that he can get licensure, licensure, uh, licensure, yes. Uh, sorry, maybe I didn't sleep all that well. Um, then he is fit to compete. And I don't want to see him go up against top contenders. Like the Musasi one does not interest me because I think that's a little bit on the ship of sailed on that one. But Silva's, we can pretty much tell, is still dangerous, but a lot less than what it used to be. So I don't see what's the problem with that one. Um, it seems like an appropriate, you know, old guy versus old guy kind of fight. And uh, they obviously have history. And there's a reason competitively to think that maybe Chael can give it to him this time, you know? I mean, obviously give him to him the first time, but then lost, you know? Uh, someone says Nunez versus Shevchenko is the uh, rematch is the way to go. The rematch, the divisions in disarray uh, due to the fact that they have had they haven't had any clarity as to the last few fights. Home shocked the world. This is just too long. Uh, okay, true false. Mark Hunt fights again in the UFC. I say true. Brock Lesnar fights again in the UFC. I will say false. The USADA failures of 2016 are overall worse for the UFC than the ravages of injury in previous years. Well, from a PR standpoint, yes. But not in actuality. Those injuries, man, they were killing every card for a while there. Uh, if the UFC implements a women's flyweight division, it will be a current strawweight, not bantamweight, who first holds the title. Ooh. That is interesting. Um, I will say false for now. Only because Shevchenko has those wins over in Jacek, but that's not a bad idea. Uh, Nunez losses to either, excuse me, Nunez loses to either Shevchenko or Pena. Ooh, another good one. Um, 
I will say false because you have both on there. I think she might be able to win one of those. Ronda Rousey will be the next woman to successfully defend the bantamweight title. Jeez, that's a tough one too. I'll just say yes, but I don't really know. <laughs> uh, someone asked me about Mark Hunt again. Here's another point I sort of want to bring up about some of these, like, let's find PED users kind of thing. And a lot of it is some people believing that if you find these guys into oblivion, that somehow this time this will work, right? Like, we keep on going and r- ratcheting up the saber rattling about what we're going to do to people's careers, despite the fact that this is partly an entertainment product and that makes no sense. But, okay, that aside... Um, you know, that, that, that this time, this this reason will prevent it from doing it. When, of course, we all know that doping is never going to stop. It might be mitigated to some extent, but it's never going to stop because the incentive to do it is always extraordinarily high. And these are guys who take risks. Generally, they believe they are capable of defeating all obstacles. You get the idea. It's naturally just sort of creates an environment where um, guys take risks. So the idea that you're just going to like further and further penalize guys and that's going to make them stop seems to me like ludicrous, uh, especially with the human cost you might endure all the way up front. But like the other part of me is like, aside from the fact that I just don't find that argument particularly convincing is the other component, which is we're doing a lot of like, let's find guys purses. Um, I think from an aspect of, you know, if someone fights clean, um, they should make more, not just for the reasons I stated, but like, hey, that'd be a great way to like get a little extra pay. You know, like, um, hey, you can make some extra money this way, right? This is a way to offset your your whatever your pay is or augment it, certainly to some extent. And and I just am like, I wonder how much more of these causes we'd hear for like, find this guy's purse. Um, and I'm not saying there's no fine that I'd be okay with. It might be some kind of fines that might be all right. But uh, that's an issue that like should be worked out over time. But I think that if these guys were getting television money and video game money um, and being paid to do media stuff, I think you'd hear a lot less of this. In other words, I think part of this like ratcheting up of, you know, intellectual support for, hey, you should have, you should have um, PED, guys who test positive PEDs have their fighters, you know, have, their, have their purses somewhat docked and go to the other guy, I think that's partly, partly a function of the fact that we're always trying to find interesting ways to get guys paid rather than the obvious ones of getting them paid on which most other athletes in similar positions get paid. Let's see. Ooh, interesting question or statement. If CM Punk can get a UFC shot, not a title shot, but a shot to compete in the UFC, and debut on a pay-per-view main card. By law of equivalent exchange, Amir Khan should get a title shot in a UFC debut. I would not go that far. That seems a little much, because even James Tony didn't get one. James Tony was a more decorated boxer than Amir Khan. Maybe not. Um, maybe, no, definitely is a more decorated boxer than Amir Khan. Um, however, if you're going to give an argument to CM Punk being in the UFC, how on earth could you possibly exclude Amir Khan? Um, you know, that's not Mayweather McGregor, but you draw in on some of that curiosity a little bit, right? Mayweather, Mayweather McGregor is not merely curiosity about boxing versus MMA, but about star versus star. Khan doesn't give you nearly as much of that, but it gives you some. And then like boxing, it gives you a little bit of that boxing versus MMA feel, except... Um, if you match up with another striker, 
Maybe he just doesn't take him to the ground. Maybe he kind of gets up there and exchanges with him. Um, it just it's a little bit different than the Tony thing. It's a little bit different than the Mayweather thing. In some ways, less than both, but still uh, interesting in his own regard, and certainly worthy of doing it if you're going to have CM Punk. I don't know how you can possibly do it. Uh, the benefits of pulling guard. Watching Godo Fredo Pepe pull guard over and over again, I'm wondering if there's any purpose or benefit in pulling guard for fighters not named Fabricio Verdum or whether it is a telltale sign that a fighter doing so lacks ideas or is panicking, as appears to be the case with Pepe and Vitor Belfort. In the case of Belfort, probably, but in the case of Pepe, um, pulling guard can be really effective if someone's really, really good at playing a guard game. Um, you see a lot of guard pulls in jiu-jitsu tournaments because guys really feel like they can be competitive underneath. In MMA, it's just hard to be competitive underneath. Um, that's just the, the whole bit of it. But if you're having trouble taking a guy to the ground, if you feel like I'm not having much success on the feet, uh, I trust my guard to at least keep me safe. I don't think it's the worst idea, but it's just going to be really, it's, it's just really, really tough. You have to have a really good guard in MMA to, to make use of it that way. And of course, as you noted, Fabrizio Verdum has a nasty guard. Um, good question, and one we should answer. Mr. Meltzer reported that Holm versus Shevchenko peaked at 4.7 million viewers, which is pretty impressive. It's damn impressive. How awesome is it that the women are now established as draws in their own rights? Can you put their position in the UFC into context compared to other sports? What do you expect the WMMA scene to look like in five years' time? I think there'll be another weight class or two with women in five years' time. Um, there'll be more draws. I think the women to the UFC has been such a smart breath of fresh air. And I mentioned a lot of reasons for it. I, I can't quite fundamentally explain it, but I'm like you in saying that like I would much rather watch. I love boxing. I'll watch men's boxing just as quickly as I'll watch men's MMA. But I just won't watch women's boxing without some greater context to it. Not in any kind of discriminatory way. It just is not all that appealing to me. I don't find it to be quite... It just appeals to me... To me, it's a much lesser version of the men's game. Now, you can make an argument that the women's side of MMA is not quite up to speed with the men's side. I mean, after all, they don't have nearly as many weight, women in nearly as many weight classes. It's, it's still developing. The best practices are... You know, you can see women getting better rapidly over time. They're closing that gap a little bit, but the skills gap is a little bit still there to some extent. That's changing every day, but you get the idea. But in other words, it doesn't feel like a major dramatic downgrade to watch women's MMA. It feels pretty equivalent and sometimes greater, you know, in the case of watching someone like Shevchenko, right? So you don't feel like you're getting anything less. And then also people really bond to other people's personalities. You know, they bond to Ronda Rousey. They bond to Holly Holm. They bond to Juliana Pena. They see themselves in them and they, or they like what they stand for, whatever the case. It's real personality driven. And so um, it really, really works. It really works. So the good news to me, long-term, as you can see, women can be draws. Um, the other interesting thing that I didn't consider was that, let me look at this real quick um, before I affirmatively assert it, but let's see. Hold this up here. Home is 34, though. she got to get busy. Yeah, she is getting busy. Um, so home has one, two, three, five fights in the UFC. Four of them have been, excuse me, three of them have been on pay-per-view. Her first one against Raquel Pennington, to which there was a great degree of uh, interest. Then she fought on that Mir versus Duffy card um, against Marion Renault. But then she went back to the, she went back to pay-per-view and fought Ronda Rousey. 
Then she fought Misha Tate on pay-per-view back-to-back, and that was UFC 196. So she fought her at UFC 193, then UFC 196, and then went to not just Free TV Fox Sports 1, but Free TV Fox. In other words, she was not just coming off of these two high-profile events, but she was going from pay-per-view to Free TV. I think a lot of people who were like, ah, you know, I might pay for a Holly Holm on pay-per-view if it's a big enough fight, but this is someone I've seen on... Here's the argument. So many people thought, oh, we'll put them on Fox, then we'll put them on pay-per-view, and everyone will follow them to pay-per-view, and that doesn't really appear to be the case. However, if you have someone who has been a big star for beating, let's say, Ronda Rousey, then competed in a number of pay-per-view cards, in a number of big cards, I mean, 193 and 196, these are big cards, and then goes to Big Fox, people will follow that. It actually works the opposite way. Not It doesn't get people necessarily to go to pay-per-view, but it definitely gets people who've been watching pay-per-view to watch her for free. Right, you definitely see a lot of that. That to me seems like the bigger lesson here, and it worked. It worked, man. Like God bless them. Like you guys know, none of us are really feeling that event all that much. You know, kind of interested in the main event a little bit, but and maybe the co-main too. But the rest of it were kind of like, eh, I don't know. Um, just and the and the ticket sales reflected that in Chicago, but the ratings, man, wow, they killed it. They really killed it. Of course, the only issue is you now have Zingano coming off a loss. You now have Rousey coming off a loss. Uh, Zingano, excuse me, uh, two losses. Tate coming off a loss, home, two losses. You know, all the women that were draws because they were relatively in this either Tate or more importantly, this Rousey orbit, they've all come off of losses. Now, in the long run, that's a good thing because you're seeing this other part of the div- division assert itself. Um, the only thing I would have wished for was that not all of them would be coming off of losses, right? You still would want some of them in that winning space to recapture uh, or at least maintain that. And that way you could give an easier transfer, a, a bigger halo effect to the rest of the division. But as people have noted, when Rossi comes back, that'll be big no matter what. One thing that sort of bugs me is that, like, it's not, I'm not bothered by the fact that these other women have asserted themselves in the bottom up. I, I just wish that uh, it, the process had been a little bit more, like, transfer of power and a democracy via handshake rather than a revolution. That's all. <laughs> That's all I'm sort of, like, wish was different, you know. Diaz McGregor too. Hey, Luke, I listened to your take on Connor's jiu-jitsu the other day on your radio show, and I agreed. I know a lot of fans are questioning his ground skills, but so are the fighters. Why do you think that is? Because they hate on Connor McGregor. Why are the fighters hating on Connor's ground game so much? Um, do they see something we don't, or do you think they just don't like the guy? I loved both guys, but I think this fight is a pick 'em. It's going to be closer and go longer than the last fight. So, um, so here's my basic view of the second fight, and I mentioned this, I think, on my radio show a number of times. Coach John Cavanaugh came out and said Conor McGregor's going to finish him within four rounds or or by round four, you know, or, or something equivalent to that. And uh, I, I posted on my Facebook page, Luke.Thomas or Facebook.com slash Luke Thomas News. And the majority of the responses I saw were, oh my God, this is stupid. You know, Conor, I mean, Conor fought Nate on 10 days' notice last time. He's going to get mollywopped this time even worse. Connor's ground game sucks. This is ridiculous. You know, I want to see the fight because I want to see Connor go down. He's a big star, but, you know, we all know what's going to happen. And look, I'm, I lean Nate Diaz. Like, okay. But uh, I find that I just don't buy that at all. You know, the circumstances that were around the first time, they're radically different this time. Radically different this time. First of all, Connor McGregor is a creature of reinvention after setback. He's done it with losses to Joe Duffy. He's done it with an ACL tear. He is a guy who has all of the gears in place to push himself to another level 
when he has a chip on his shoulder. It's actually when he gets complacent and he's doing the, you know, showing up like El Chapo. That's when he's gone too far. But when he's got his back against the wall a little bit or people, you know, perceive him to be, um, you know, slightly a bit of a pretender, that's when he gets out there and starts hurting people. And I can't wait to see how he's reinvented himself. Moreover, and I went over this a number of times in that Monday morning analysis, the most watched Monday morning analyst I've ever done. If you go back and you watch McGregor's jiu-jitsu when he is fresh, he has a kurukuru guard that he uses as a sweep, which is a super esoteric sweep. It's like an overhook X guard sweep that he uses on Nate Diaz, and he gets on top, and he has good positioning on top with his knees on the inside of the thigh to keep Diaz from reclosing his guard, at least temporarily. Like, that's – sorry, guys. That's disciplined, high-level stuff. I'm not saying it's equivalent to Nate's, but the idea that it's bad is just a joke. It's so not true. Absolutely fundamentally not true. Guys who are who suck cannot do that stuff, period. Not even by luck can they do that. Now, of course, when he got gassed and desperate, his jiu-jitsu did not look all that great. Guys, if I go in there and I wear your ass out with some kind of workout where you're just you can barely stand, and then before that, you were able to take 35-pound dumbbells and you're able to curl them 10 times in each arm, no problem. And then I say pick up those dumbbells, you're gonna look like you can't pick up anything. You're gonna look weak. What do you mean you can't curl 35-pound weights? What do you mean you can't do jumping jacks and clap your hands underneath? When you get tired, you don't just make bad decisions about what to do in a competitive space. Your body just doesn't let you do those things. Of course, this fatigue will kill you. Um, and so what happened was you saw him not with bad jiu-jitsu, but him trying to follow. Even when he was tired, and I got, went through this, for example, when the, when the guillotine got put on, Connor was raising his base, which is the correct thing to do. He just did it too slow and couldn't keep up because he was so tired. So I'm not here to tell you that Nate's Diaz, Nate Diaz's jiu-jitsu is not better. It is. When people like Connor has bad jiu-jitsu, no, he does not. No, he does not. That is so not true. Not as good as Nate's, but not bad. Not bad by any objective measurement. No, sir. Um, the question is, can he stay fresh long enough at this weight class against a guy who can take his punches so that's not another liability that reappears? But to me, the circumstances this time are totally different. Nate's got a full training camp, and he's probably going to have a bit of a different approach, of course. How is he going to change things up? Connor's going to change a bunch of stuff up. His weight's going to be more properly calibrated. He's going to try different attacks. He's going to be more measured. He's going to be more thoughtful. He's going to be doing things that are in and out, not just sort of like wantonly wading into Nate Diaz and thinking, you know, I just go one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi, whole fall. Like, I'm not here to tell you what pick to make. But I am here to caution against the certainty that, oh, this time we know how this will go. We've been over this over and over and over again. We did it with Lesnar Hunt. We did it with Bisping uh, Rockhole. We're doing it now again, back to back to back. Don't recommend this, guys. The certain the the the, the fallacy of like saying what's going to happen in MMA is like, oh, we know for sure this time that the conditions will lead to this. No, you don't. No, you don't. To me, there is plenty of reasonable suspicion to think this will look very different from the first fight and it will be very very competitive even though nate was coming off of 10 days the last time uh okay it is 217 let's go to the twitter machine if we can i'm a fan of both fighters as well i'm just going to enjoy watching 202 yeah that's sort of where i'm at right I'm, i can't wait for august can't wait if Masvidal loses this Saturday, you think he will get cut. Fun to watch, but he would be one and four in last five. Maybe. That'd be shocking to think about, right? Because he's so good, but maybe. Who has more to lose in the Masvidal-Pearson fight? Uh, good question. Wow. Probably Masvidal. Probably. Uh, 
I don't know. Um, but that's a good question. It's a really good question. Someone says, what's that watch you're wearing, Luke? It looks dope. This is the, uh, this is the Garmin Phoenix three HR. Why are certain fighters drug tested more than others? Um, consequence of where they are. I think individual choices made by resources available to USADA a natural result of randomness and variance on the program. Nate Diaz tweeted, UFC played me again. And that was from 158, so just a few minutes ago. No idea what that's about. Trust nobody, he says. What about the risk to the fighter using steroids? They seem to be able to take away more damage before being KO'd. Um, I don't, I don't know how true that is. Again, whenever I say that, I can be people being like, "Oh, blah, blah, blah. we don't." I'm sorry, we don't. We don't actually know how true that is. Um, we have maybe a reasonable degree of suspicion about it, but we don't really know. Um, to what extent that is true. We know they have potentially, depending on what they're using and to what extent they're using it, they might have the ability to go um, heal quicker for injuries and certainly have more cardio. That seems to me, um, boy, uh, uh, scientifically very uh, justifiable conclusion. But in terms of like adding to their capacity to take damage, I'm, I'm, I'm not certain what scientific basis there is for that. Uh who would win? TRT Vitor versus Romero? Romero. Fedor versus Arlovsky? We already saw that. I guess you mean now? I guess Arlovsky? I don't know. Poirier versus Nate? Ooh. Boy, that'd be a good fight, wouldn't it? Maybe Nate. MVP versus Douglas Lima. Lima. Who is the next superstar of MMA? FFI now. Uh, are you more surprised that Lesnar potentially cheated or that he got caught? Ooh, neither. I don't know what that means. Have you downloaded Money and Muscle 2 yet? <laughs> uh, no, I haven't. What happened to Miles Jury? Ooh, I have, should check in with him. I don't know. It's a good question. If Ronda returns and loses to Nunez, do you think she retires? Yeah, probably. Because if you lose to Nunez, I imagine you're probably getting stopped again. I don't know about that. Why is Lawler not a bigger star? He's actually a lot better at doing media and like getting a personality out there than he used to be. Um, but he's still kind of lagging in that regard, you know, I guess relative to other bigger stars. Um, I think he has the potential to be a big star, but, you know, he's also just a family guy. And there you go.
Uh, if McGregor loses to Diaz a second time and goes down and loses his belt to Aldo, where does he go from there? I see a lot of questions about that. I still feel like he'll have a lot of I, – I just don't buy that he's going to like fight Diaz and lose and then go down to Aldo and lose and that no one will care anymore. Now, he'd fall on some hard times doing that, but I bet he would find a way to, to um, gain some kind of promotional opportunity for continued success. GSP versus Lawler, who wins? I would go with Lawler, to, provided that those wars have not really worn him out. Which five fighters are the most pivotal to the success of forming a fighter's association? Jeez, I don't know. Luke, starting work as a bouncer soon. Any tips? Uh, don't be mean, but don't take any S from anyone. Got to walk that thin line. Where you're professional, but you're not too friendly, you're not too mean, and um, and don't think that lifting weights will keep people from trying to check you because they're drunk, so they're going to try to check you. Just have to be ready for it. What about the risk to the fighter using steroids? Yeah, we've been over this. Um, oh, Jesus, what happened? Here we go. Do you think Holly will ever get another UFC title shot? I wouldn't rule it out. You know, as long as you're a big star and you can pull those kinds of numbers on Fox, I wouldn't doubt it. Do you think Gilbert Melendez will get cut? No, I do not. What do you think Connor will do kicking-wise this time around? I think um, he might go heavily to the legs to slow Diaz down. Um... I don't know that it makes – I mean, the guys – like, you go to the body on people who have suspect cardio because if you chip in and chip in and chip in and chip in and chip in, you can slow them down. I don't know that going to the body on him makes a whole lot of sense. I'm not saying it doesn't make sense. Certainly a coach might be able to tell you otherwise. I, 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 believe me, I'm not here to declare that makes no sense. But to me, going to the legs and and that really um, limiting his ability to reach on punches and and um, sit on sit down on them – that to me seems really important. Um, I don't know if we'll do that, but you know, there you go. Is there a cooling off bywise? Excuse me. If there is a cooling off bywise, does the UFC follow the WWE and package pay per view events within Fight Pass? They might, but I think we're a bit of a ways off from that. Who has a longer title reign, Stipe or Nunez? Ooh, that is a tough one. Uh, I don't know. I really don't know. Because you could see Overeem giving him problems. You could see Stipe hanging on for a while. Uh, Oh, here we go. Brock Lesnar. No WWE punishment for failed UFC drug tests. Yeah, of course. How much different is MMA punching from boxing? Would a guy like Khan at 145 win exchanges with ease? It really depends. Um... You know, it's not so much that punching mechanics change sport to sport. There are different punches that work for different scenarios. Um, there are different kinds of, you know, the shell game, head-to-head inside in boxing. You're fighting in a phone booth that you don't really see in MMA. So just the 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 the, um, the types of punches you might use in different scenarios change. But, you know, the same kind of mechanics about uh, how the arm is extended, turning the punch over, um, you know, turning up the hips on the ball, the the foot, and how your body should be. Also, your angling of your body can change a little bit. Some of the punching can come from karate styles, where you know you may be from a bit of a side stance, so it can change sport to sport. But mechanically, what you're just sort of operating on are, um, 
you know, what kind of mechanical operation can I undertake for what kind of benefit with what kind of um, defensive liability that it produces? And then they make choices about which ones work in which scenarios, but it's still biomechanics, right? Um, so you're asking me, could Khan win with ease? Depending on how he fought, sure. Um, I don't think it's implausible to suggest that he could potentially win some exchanges. Uh, we'll see. Uh, not long ago, you mentioned being unbiased. You even sent a link to how journalists behave and strive. You're not doing this now. Right. I am not unbiased. I will never be unbiased. I have a bias. I am clear and upfront about it. You are able to make your own choice about it. It is never an argument about being unbiased. You, Mr. Fassbender on Twitter, have serious listening comprehension issues. Okay. Uh, let's take a couple more of these on the chat itself. Can't keep engaging with that guy. Technology to eliminate weight cutting. Jesus, this is really long, though. Oh, here we go. We all understand that the point of having weight classes is to make sure that fighters are of similar weights are fighting each other, but I do not understand the whole process of weight cutting when we have the technology to achieve the same goal. What are your thoughts on the UFC using the DEXA scan to certify fighters for weight classes? The DEXA scan, D-E-X-A, can accurately determine a fighter's lean body mass, fat composition, and hydration levels. Why not use this to say Fighter X would be 167 pounds fully hydrated if there was a 6% body fat, the generally accepted lowest safe level? This would allow the UFC to stay to say that they cannot be certified in weight below that. The only thing left is to do a hydration test when they weigh in to ensure they are cutting fat and not water to make their weight. Um, seems like you would put technological limits on weights that guys might be able to get below, but it's a good idea. I don't know. That's a good question about the DEXA scan. I don't have a great answer for you. Um, I will look into it. I will actually give it a recommendation so I can like, there we go. That's a good question. If anyone knows about the DEXA scan, email me, please. Luke.thomas at SBNation.com. You love the fantasy matchups. I'll do one real quick. Brown versus Cowboy. I will go Brown. Maya versus Kamaru Usman. Excuse me. Maya versus Kamaru Usman. Maya. RDA versus Dustin Poirier. RDA. Carlos Conde versus Steven Thompson. Thompson. Nick Diaz versus Edson Barboza. Maybe Nick Diaz. Nate versus Nermi. I will go Nermi. Connor versus Tony Ferguson. Ooh, Jesus. I don't know. Gus versus Glover. Gus. Mighty Mouse versus TJ Dillashaw. Mouse. Ooh, I, I, I don't know. Old TJ Dillashaw, Mouse. Now one, I don't know. Amir Khani versus Garbrandt. I'll go Garbrandt. Lineker versus Dodson. I'll go Lineker. Almeida versus Stevens. I'll go Almeida, but barely. Um, we got some weird questions in here. false mighty mouse retires as champion true john jones returns in two years as a heavyweight false amir khan fights in ufc in 2017 false cruz oh you know what maybe true cruz faces edgar for 135 pound belt i would love that i'll just say true rory mcdonald signs to bellator true jones is the michael vick of mma well i don't know that what he did is on par with dog fighting but 
that he has an inability to manage his life in ways that are uh, important. Yeah, maybe so. How big of an upset was the Caldwell loss? If you guys saw during Caldwell on Friday getting choked out with the guillotine, according to our boy um, Luca Fury, it's in terms of the betting odds, the fifth greatest upset in the history of the sport. Yikes. And can Maya dominate on the ground or is Condit good enough to keep from being submitted and KO him? If it's a draw, which way do you go? Um, I think both. I think Maya can dominate on the ground and Condit is good enough to keep from being submitted. I don't know about... The Condit-Maya one is, for me, it's going to be a lot of time spent with Condit fighting off submissions from his back. But then the question is, can he get up? Can he escape? Can he land a shot You know, uh, as Maya comes in? That's what it really is going to be about to me is finding those little tiny spaces for a little bit of offense. Okay, and I think that is it. Anderson Silva, true, false. Anderson Silva gets another title shot. If so, who will he have to beat? I'll say false. Look, has your producer got any picks for 201? She does not. All right, uh, let's see. Anybody else? Lots of people disagreeing with me. Well, it's inevitable. Someone says, also, his argument that if some fighters have other advantages, money, training camps, et cetera, then PED should also be allowed. That, like, does anyone listen? That is absolute, absolutely not what I said. That, that, does that not sound like a childish argument? Uh, it might be if someone was making it. Here's a real scenario. Kids who are born into wealth have a billion advantages in schooling than kids who are born into poverty. So, therefore, bribing professors to give you good grades might as well also be legal since the rest of the game isn't far away. Fair anyway. Yeah, I, I don't know why I bother. Uh All right. Well, anyway, some of you are never going to believe me. That's fine. Okay. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, or challenges, and you're waiting for my piece on this because you guys have all believed everything you've been told about PEDs, despite the fact there's very little evidence to support some of the conclusions and not many of them, that's fine. You can do that at luke.thomas at SBNation.com. Luke Thomas Show, 4 p.m. on SiriusXM Rush 93. And I uh, appreciate everyone watching. Give it a thumbs up. You guys are always great if you do that, even the ones who just can't believe what I'm saying. All right. See you guys next week. Until next time, uh, stay frosty.